Well, good morning. To so turn to someone around you and say good morning to them. Uh, feel free, if they're comfortable, to shake their hand, touch them. If it's someone you've been wanting to touch for some time, then feel free. This is a safe place. I stand here this morning in a moment of great emotion. So you have to give me a moment to collect my composure. I remember, as we were, I were talking, sitting down here before I came up, I remember 12 years ago very well. I remember the end of 2006 when we felt that the Lord spoke to us about returning to Anderson, South Carolina and planting a church. And I gave God all the excuses I could find in my bag of excuses, and then I created some new ones, uh, you know, thinking that he had not heard those before, forgetting that he is sovereign and knows all things. And I gave him all those excuses of I had been in the ministry too long, and I was too old, and I didn't look like the quintessential church planter and, and those kinds of things. And so, um, and, and, and so I just didn't fit that mold. I just didn't fit that mold. And I remember struggling with that with the Lord and struggling with that moment that I said yes. And I would like to tell you that the moment I said yes, or we said yes, Reba and I, that all the fear dissipated because that's not the truth. This is not. And in fact, I think it may have somewhat increased, but it pushed me to God. And I, I, was, I, I learned to lean into God like never before. And so I... I, I remember that first morning that I walked into what is now Papa's and Beer. We rented that restaurant and we met. And, and I remember that day. And, and I remember I walked in and everybody was waiting. And, and they cheered for us like we were something, but we were not. We were just scared to death. We'd lost half of our income. We were living in our camper in someone's driveway. Just in case it didn't work out, we could sneak out of town in the middle of the night, you know, and go somewhere else. And, and, and I, I remember those times. And I thought, what are you cheering for? Because this guy is really, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's scared to death about it, but I'm just saying yes to the Lord. And so look around what God has done. It is an amazing thing that the Lord has done for his glory and for our joy. It's for his glory and for our joy that he has done this. And what is God going to do in the future? Boy, I don't know. He hasn't told me all the things yet. Trust me, he has not. But I know that his intentions toward us are always good, that he is for us and not against us, that he is committed to completing the things that he has begun in our lives. So in light of that, I say, I am excited about the future for our church. Amen? I am excited about the future of our church. I am. We give him all the glory and we give him all the praise for great things, for great things God has done. I think we have a few photographs this morning, maybe. Do we have a few of those? Am I correct in saying that? Or if we, 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 we're going to pull out the album for a moment, I think. And, and so uh, uh, we, we remember these days very well, you know. 
and um, just just kind of where the Lord has has brought us from in those moments. We can never put that many people here and there. That's for sure. It wouldn't happen. Would it? No. Yeah, multiple multiple times it would take. I, I remember those those moments of excitement that we we had. I, I remember that day we put up the sign here and, and and what God was going to do. And I thought, Lord, are you sure this is who you want to use? And do you want us here? And and God said, just trust me. Just trust me. You said yes and trust me. That's a younger version of me 12 years ago, yes? Yeah? It's amazing, isn't it? I look better now than I did back then. That's unbelievable. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. You may see yourself in some of these pictures also, but I tell you, the Lord is doing amazing things, and for that I am thankful. I am amazingly thankful. But I want to say this to you before we get into our teaching this morning, is this. I am amazingly thankful, Reba and I are amazingly thankful for all of you this morning, that I truly believe that God is providential as we teach here, that God is sovereign and providential, that you thought you chose Hope Fellowship, God chose you to be here at Hope Fellowship, God has directed your path here, and so I want to say to you, thank you for being a part of this journey with us, thank you for continuing to be a part of this journey with us, if you're just kicking the tires and checking things out and looking at the window prices today, you know, and and this is your first time, then I want to say, hey, listen, consider allowing the Lord to place you here and to use you in a powerful way at Hope Fellowship. And so we are thankful for you, and thank you for being here this morning. And so, thank you. I love every one of you. And uh, to God be the glory. (laughs) Grab your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 18. We start there, and we find ourselves in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting with verse 14 in a moment. So John, chapter 1, verse 18, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and verse... 14. I want to talk to you about shared community. Last week, Travis did an amazing job as he talked to us about investment in each other. He talked to us about discipleship as we are, as we are fleshing out this vision that the Lord has given us, that people becoming and belonging through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And so we have said that this year, this year, that we, we will intentionally explore, not explore, but yet find ourselves immersed in that of being discipled and making disciples. So Travis, very capably, go online and watch that from last week as he talked to us about discipleship and investing in others. And today I want to talk to you about opportunity. I want to talk to you about opportunity for a moment. And this opportunity that I'm talking about is that of a gospel-centered or an opportunity we find in a gospel-centered community, just like we are this morning, sitting in this place. But I have to start with understanding, or we have to start with understanding what community really is. And can I tell you, community has always been God's idea. Understand that. Community has always been God's idea. Community is not something that Starbucks created. It is not, but it's always been the idea of God. Sociologists sort of define community as that of that whenever we have overlapping um, interests or that of intent or experience or identity, that it somehow forms a community, that humankind cannot help but, but that be drawn to forms of community. Why? Because it's the very nature of God. The community is the very nature of God, that He is a communal God. We worship a triune God, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and so they live in this perfect 
this perfect setting of communion and community, all three in one. And because God created everything, he sets the very epicenter of all of reality in this world. It's no surprise that you and I are drawn to community. It's no surprise because God is community himself. He is. It's John chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. And, and I stop there for a moment, take a pause, we'll finish the rest of the verse in just a second. But, but I thought about this. If you have a King James Version this morning, then you're going to find that it says that who is in the bosom of the Father. It's this concept of bosom. Now, maybe that makes you a little you know, uncomfortable, me saying that for a moment. But hang on, because I want to kind of flesh this out for you. Because today in our culture, when we want to have a relationship with someone, we say, hey, you know, let's have coffee. Back then, they would say, hey, come to my bosom is exactly what they would say, right? Yes. Now, you've met the person next to you, so maybe you should turn to them. No, don't do that, you know? That's maybe not what you want to do. Maybe it is what you want to do. It'd be very uncomfortable to say, hey, after church, why don't you come to my bosom? And it would be kind of strange, would it not? Yes. It makes us uncomfortable even saying that right now. But it's this connotation of deepness in our relationships is exactly what this is. It's your father's bosom. So he says here, who is at the father's side, he has made him known. That I think when it comes to, this, comes to the Trinity, we have this very odd idea and concept of that. We have God the Father who we think of as God. Then we have this six-pound, three-ounce baby Jesus who we kind of see him, you know, in that light sometimes. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is kind of weird and makes people do strange things. And we kind of don't know how he fills in all of these holes. And so we don't... And that is the most con- foreign concept to what we find taught in Scripture. Because the Bible says that we have God the Father who is glorifying God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit, who is simply making much of Christ. It's what C.S. Lewis calls, and we've said this so many times, he calls this the dance of the Godhead, the dance of the Trinity. It's the communion of life. It's this connection and vibrancy that you and I find that is modeled for us an example in the Godhead. And so it's no, it's no surprise, I think, that that spills over into my life and your life, our desire, our longing, our need, our desperation for community with other people. It's the fabric of the creative order because God is at the epic center of the creative order. And so God is communal. So you and I have this innate, we have this desire to be in community with others. God is a community calling you and I to be people of community. He said this when he created you and I said, let us make man in our image or in our likeness. Let us make him or them like us is what he says. And so what we, what we have is God creating you and I, and then and he creates man and woman, and they're in the garden, and they're naked, and they're unashamed. And I can I tell you, when we say naked and unashamed, that has nothing to do with nudity, but it has everything to do with a relationship where there's nothing hidden, there's no hidden agenda, there's no, uh, there's no image to per- project on other people to impress them, but yet it's the purity of their relationship that they're fully known by the Creator. And then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and there's sin in the world, and the universe is fractured, and it is broken, and then God shows up. And the first thing God says to them is, hey, who told you that you're naked? Is what he says. Why? Because it has to do with relationship. It's the first moment where there is broken relationships in the world. And what is Adam's response to God as the great man and leader of his home is? You know what it is? God, it's the woman that you gave me, is what he said, right? 
And man has been saying that ever since. That's right. Because a chapter back, he's singing this poem where he says about Eve, that you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and I shall call you woman, is what he said. But now, what happens? Oh, God says, hey, who told you you're naked? And Adam says, oh, it's the woman that you gave me, and those crazy kids of hers are driving me nuts. Yeah, is exactly right. That's exactly the way. It's our story. It is our story. And Jesus comes to redeem that story. Yet today in the fracture of our world, we live these lives in this desire for and this hunger for close community with one another. But I think in the search of that, many times all we get are kind of loose connections is what we have. And we settle for loose connections. That is not the way that God has designed the community of faith to live. Understand that. It's not about loose connections. And you say, well, Mark, I, we know you. We've heard this before that you say these things. And you always get on social media at this point. Can I tell you, I am not a hater of social media. Some of you realize that we had one service today at 10 o'clock because of social media. And we are thankful for that. We are. Yes. Some person, someone posted, and someone told me this this morning, that they put on a feed today. They said they, because they got here about 8.30 for the 9 o'clock service, and they said, this is what they posted. They said, either, either we're having one service today, or everybody carpooled in three cars, is what they said. <laughs> that's a lot. That's to save energy. That works pretty well, right? Absolutely. Yes, it does. But I think what we do is we settle for these loose connections. We do. I have Facebook, yeah, and I, I enjoy that. And, and, and occasionally I put things on there. I have Instagram. I'm not real great at Instagram. I do put certain things on there sometimes. I, I, I do that. I don't tweet. I don't blog. I just don't do that. That's just not me. And I don't apologize for that. Just, that's just not me. But what I can tell you is even those things are good within themselves. But I think they are very shallow substitutes for deep relationships. And they will not, because, hear me out, because you are created in the likeness of God, and God is a communal God, that those things will not satisfy the longing of your soul for community. They're, it's not going to happen. No. Let me, let me show you this. Have you ever gone and cruised through social media and you left agitated at some point? And most of you can say, yeah, I have, absolutely. Because everybody else's life is really going well and my life sucks right now. And it really makes you feel agitated. It does. And, and so you think you have these friends because you leave agitated because it doesn't feel that longing of your heart and that desire that you were created with for that. And you scroll through all of those things and you feel that low hum of agitation begin to grow within your life. You, you sense that and it's your soul wanting more. And what I realize as I talk about opportunity in this community is this, that there is great opportunity in this very room today for some very deep, life-changing relationships. It's here. You just have to seek it out. You just have to avail yourself to it because it is here in this community. But some of you are saying, and maybe you're already, you know, you're kind of throwing up this wall to me or to God this morning and saying, but wait, Mark, I love Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I do love Jesus, but I really don't want any deep relationships with these fine folks in this room this morning. I, I really don't. And, and my, my comment to that is really, really? If you go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, can I read this text to you 
read a little bit of the text, explain a little bit, and we'll work our way through it in a moment. But I think it's important that you hear 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. For here is what it says to you, and it speaks to us about our life and about our connection with one another. For the love of Christ controls us. If you have another translation, it may say that it uses the word compels us. Before Paul wrote this text, he says in past writings that sometimes conviction compels us. He says sometimes that simply that we are motivated by fear in our lives. But yet here he says that you are compelled by the love of Christ to do what? To pursue the call that God has placed upon your life is what he says. And so what he says is this, that the, his love, it is the love of Christ that compels me so that I have no option but to do what God has called me to do. Because, he goes on to say, that we have concluded this. He says, after deep research, I've come to this conclusion. I can't get away from this truth. He said, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, is what he says. Because, because he has died for all, then I, I, I'm no longer myself. He, what is, that's exactly what he's getting to, that I don't, I don't belong to myself. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who their sake died and was raised. It's this solidarity between us and Christ and the work that Christ has done in our lives that we are no longer our own. Now, there's a point here, that we're no longer our own. Ernest Hemingway, if you want to quote him, and I'll tell you, it's not biblical. What he says is this, that you are the master of your own fate. You are the captain of your own soul. That is the furthest thing from the truth. So since I am not my own, since I am compelled by the love of Christ and that work of redemption that he died for all, And I take that truth and I lay it over my life. That my life is no longer my own and I'm not the master of my own fate, nor am I the captain of my own soul. Then that compels me to yield to the call of God upon my life. And that is to serve Christ and to serve others. A theologian once said that the way you, two ways you can look at Christ. Christ is either a house guest in your life or he's the owner of the house. It's this transference of ownership within your lives. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That as a follower of Christ, I'm not to place an estimate upon you as that of how you look, make those determinations about your outward appearance, that of human standards. But I see you in the light of the redemptive work of Christ. Even though we once regarded Christ, he says, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And so I wrote in my notes here, no options. There's no options. If you are redeemed... If you have experienced the love of Christ in your life through grace and mercy, then here's what he's saying to you. 
You can pull your bag of excuses out of all the reasons why that you don't want a deep relationship with others in the family of God. You can come through all of those kinds of thoughts and, and, and excuses about the way you're wired and all of these kinds of things. You can say all of those kinds of things. But what Paul is saying to us is this, that you are compelled. You are compelled by the love of Christ to do the things that God has called you to do. And if you have experienced grace, and that is that he has died for all, if you've experienced that within your life, then it is not an option that you can or you cannot have deep relationships within the body of Christ. It is your call upon your life. Wow. That is something that you own for a moment, is it not? It, it really is. It is something that you own. Begin, let's continue reading. Verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, he says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Understand this. Pause for a moment. He is the reconciler. We are not. He clears this up in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And look at this. Here is the call upon our life, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, it says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here's a couple of thoughts this morning before we get to our baptism together. And it's this, that there is opportunities found through our shared Savior. It's a time to celebrate, and we've done that already. And we'll continue to do that. If you're a Christian, then we have the same Savior. We share that. That's a common bond. We worship the same King. First Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are what? You are the people of God. It's a fundamental shift within our identity. The primary identity of my life and your life as a believer is found in Christ, not in other defining elements. Understand that. So I have to say to you this morning about myself for a moment that, that I'm primarily, well, I'm primarily Anglo or white. I had to just call it what it is. I am, the, I am the quintessential white guy. You turn off the lights, I glow in the dark. I, that's just me, you know? That's just the way I am, right? And, and so it, it is what it is. Some of us are colored and some of us are shaded, but I'm the, I'm the white guy. And so I am primarily Anglo, but yet... Or I am Anglo, but not primarily that. I am a husband, not primarily a husband. I'm a father, but not primarily a father. I'm a pastor, but not primarily a father, a pastor. That I have been bought by the blood of Christ. Understand that. Bought, I'm bought by the blood of Christ. I am adopted into the family of God. So that, so that you and I now become a type of family. We become a type of family that transcends all other markers in this world. It does that I am more loyal to you in our shared identity of Christ than anything else that would mark us in our similarities or even our differences. And it's not hard for you and I to take this and say, oh, that's good, it transcends our similarities, but it also transcends our differences. It does. And because of that, this is the beauty of this, that because of that, when I take that truth and I lay this over my life and your life, what I realize is this, I do have a responsibility for you. I do have an obligation to you, not out of duty, but yet I'm compelled by the love of Christ and the work of Christ that he has done within my life, that I have a commitment to you for deep, meaningful relationships. And when I see you messing up and straying in life, that I'm the one to come to you and love and say that. When I see 
you with those successes in life, I'm the one that comes and celebrates with you. When I see you crying in grief, I'm the one that cries with you. When I see you laughing and celebrating, I laugh and celebrate with you. That I simply invest my life in your life because that's the opportunity that's available for us today. That I'm compelled by the love of Christ to do this. It's not by just, well, maybe I will or maybe I won't or I'm wired this way or I'm not wired. No, that is not what he's saying at all. But this, this likeness that we share the same Savior transcends all of our differences. Listen, in this room this morning, man, you have Baptist sitting next to Methodist. Isn't that amazing? Yes, absolutely. And then, and, and then you have Episcopalians sitting next to Presbyterians. You do? And, and, then you have, and, and then you have the Pentecostals, and they're sitting among all of you this morning, right? Yes, yes, thank God. And, 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 and so you, you have all of us in this room together, and you have some of you that you have no idea what you are. You have no idea, but you're just here because you love Jesus. And the fact that you and I share a Savior transcends all of that, that we are family. I love this. So you're sitting next to your brother or sister. You say, Mark, that's weird because I'm sitting next to my girlfriend. And now does that mean I'm dating my sister? South Carolina. I don't know, you know. (laughs) I love South Carolina, okay? So just get that straight. (laughs) Ah, that's your brother, your sister you're next this morning. Yeah. And God did not give you an option to or not to invest in their life. It's not an option. I hope that we make that very clear this morning before we move any further. The second thing is this. Opportunity is found through our shared story. You say, Mark, you know what? I understand that we share the same Savior, but the shared story. Listen, I know people in this room, and they have done stuff, you know, and I have never done that kind of stuff. Can I tell you, there's two things I want to talk about very quickly, and the first is this, that you understand, one, that we have a shared story. I think you need to know that without a doubt. And the second thing is this, just as important, as there are some design differences within us, and that is important that we know that too. But, but, but here is my thought as I talk about this of our shared story because you think, well, that's not possible because you're thinking like this, that some of us, you know, we've grown up in different, different backgrounds, uh, different areas of faith, and some of you with no faith at all. You grew up in a household where faith was encouraged and nurtured in your life. For many of you, you followed Christ at a very young age that grace and mercy was always that of a center point of your life. And can I tell you, for those of you that grew up in that kind of background, Never despise your story. Never despise your story. Just because you haven't done all the things that other people have done. Don't. You don't have to experience crack to know it's dangerous for your life. Correct? True. That's right. You don't have to go out and sleep around to understand To understand that it's detrimental to your body, to your mind, your soul, and your spirit. Now that's to not place any guilt on anybody in this room because of your background or currently where you are. But that's the truth. So don't despise your background. Maybe you were saved at six, you were baptized at seven. 
You've never been drunk. You've never been high. You were a virgin when you were married. If they gave a moral SAT, you would score 1,600. Perfect on that. You only cuss in the car when you're alone and you feel guilty about that. (laughs) True. Because crazy drivers can cause you to cuss, right? Isn't that true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. And then some of you grew up in darkness. And your life, this has progressively gotten darker until you came to Christ. Or you grew up in that of a, of a home where the scriptures were taught, but yet you rejected that at some point in your life. You've looked for comfort in all kinds of areas to fulfill those places in your life, but you looked all in the wrong places for all of that. And you look over this room and you think, oh, that, that's kind of the complexion of this room. And you feel like, I don't have a whole lot in common with those people that have never lived that kind of lifestyle. And the other side is saying, I don't have a whole lot of common with people that have not lived. I, I have never lived that lifestyle either. And, you know, some of you, you, you spent your weekends growing up with church youth group. And some of you don't remember a lot of your weekends growing up, right? So the question is, Mark, how are we the same? How is our story the same? Man, I am so glad that you asked that. It's the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, verse 5. He starts out, the psalmist starts out by, with this word, behold. When the psalmist or when a writer uses the word behold, it's saying prepare yourself for something weighty is what it's saying. Prepare yourself for something that has some substance to it. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Can I tell you that you cannot be born a Christian? You can be born a Muslim. You can be born a Buddhist. You can be born Hindu, but you cannot be born a Christian. Oh, Mark, but wait, I, I, I beg to differ with you because I have been a Christian all of my life. And can I tell you that is absolutely contrary to Scripture for what I just read. It doesn't apply to a single person in this room. And I understand what you're saying, that from your earliest memories that you have sought to follow God, you came to Christ at a very early age, but none of us are born as Christians. Understand that. Neither does your parents' faith hold any sway over your soul. It has to be your own faith. Faith is not the inheritance. Jesus is the inheritance. Understand that. We have the same beginning. Isn't that interesting? That in this room, we have the same beginning. We share the same Savior. Yes, we share the same story. We have the same beginning. But we are at varying locations on our spiritual journey. We are at varying locations on our spiritual journey this morning. You've been wondering what these chairs are for that are sitting up here beside me. Can I tell you? Here is the thought. Because we find ourselves at these varying locations on our spiritual journey, on this what we call the dirt road of sanctification, that distance between that of the the real of your life and where you are and that of the ideal in which Christ has set for you, that, that vast distance between that, that journey, that what I realize that in this room, that what we have today, we have some mature followers of Christ. We do. They're strategically planted all over this room. They are. A mature follower of Christ, as my definition would be, those that are discipling and being discipled. They are compelled by the love of Christ to invest their lives into other people. Yes. 
You say, oh, those are the people that have arrived. Can I tell you, those are not the people that have arrived. Understand that. You only arrive in two ways when it comes, I think, spiritually. One is that the return of Christ when he makes all things new. Secondly is when God punches your ticket. Okay, understand that, right? The rest of life is a learning experience and a journey for all of us in this room. Exactly right. But if you think you have arrived, and that's self-righteousness, and that is sinful, the only righteousness we want in our life is that of the righteousness through God found in His Son, Jesus. But yet, this is self-righteousness. That is not what this is about, but that of a mature follower who is struggling. It's messy and inconsistent in their life, but they're discipling and being discipled. They are investing in deep relationships with others. And then the second group that we have in this room is that of the potential followers of Christ. Yes. Those of you, maybe you're here this morning, that you're kicking the tires and you're checking things out. You're kind of skeptical about what's going on this morning. You're waiting for us to pull the snakes out. You just don't know what's going to happen in here, you know? You just don't know. And we usually don't do the snakes on anniversary Sunday, okay? So come again, all right? I'm just kidding. That's a joke, okay? you're not sure about how God feels about you and you're not really sure about even how you feel about the Lord but you're here because something is missing within your life and then the last one down here in the bean bag is that of the let me put it right there there it is the fresh followers I chose the word fresh because many times we refer to souls and we refer to people, or God does his harvest and fruit. And so I thought fresh works really well in this, in this application. Fresh followers. Those are people that are at the start of their journey with God. Now, can I stop there for a moment, give you a little explanation and get through this as I can? Is that, is that this is more about a geographical location in your journey and not just that of a chronological timeline. Because we know that there are many people who have known Christ for years, but yet they're still at this point of being a fresh follower because they have not grown. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we can't get into because we don't have the time. But yet we share the same Savior, but we're at different places in our journey. Listen, a healthy church is always full of thirds. This is a healthy church. That all of these groups have to be represented in this body. That is a healthy church ecosystem. And so what happens is this, is the mature follower of Christ, they're reaching out, they're serving, they're discipling and being discipled. And so what they're doing, they're, they're, they're reaching out to the potential followers of Christ. And what the potential followers of Christ are doing is they begin to grow in the light of that teaching and deep relationships with others. Not just for me up here or Travis or others that are up here teaching with you on a Sunday morning, but it's the things that you do in the coffee shop and you're away from here, those moments that you spend with one another and, and, and home groups and other things like that, that you're pouring into that person. So that potential father follower they come to this realization they need christ they make that decision for christ and then they become a fresh follower who simply begins to grow as messy and consistent that it is to begin to mature by discipling others and being disciples and so eventually what happens is the fresh follower he becomes a mature follower so he begins to simply disciple others and being discipled and he reaches out to other potential followers who who become that of fresh followers and you see the cycle it keeps going And if you take any of these elements out of this ecosystem of a church, then what happens is that a church loses its effectiveness. It does. And you said, but Mark, wait a minute. 
I hear you saying this, but I just can't do this because this is not my style. Remember back where we started. I have to go back there for a moment that we're compelled by his love. We have investigated this work of Christ. We come to this conclusion that I have to do something with redemption in my life. And I can't shake this. So I'm compelled by his love and his redemptive work. And Paul says, and you see the chairs with a different lens. You see them through the lens of the work and the love of Christ. It's about people becoming and belonging through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. It's the opportunity in this room this morning. Is exactly what it is. To invest deeply in someone else's life. But when we get out of balance with this, oh, there's one more. Hang on. It's over here. When we get out of balance in this area, I just disappeared from the camera, and I will be back in a moment. Here's what happens. When we get out of balance, this is the eye chair. Lock the doors, don't let anybody out, okay? So hang on, because I have to talk about the eye chair. Because this is that moment when you become that believer where you say, well, I just want to come to church and I just want to be fed. Don't make that statement to me. I love you, but don't. I will lay hands upon you. Understand that, okay? That I'm searching for the perfect church. Can I tell you, if you ever find that church, please do not attend it because you will ruin things for all the other people there. I just want to get lost in worship. (laughs) Can I tell you, open your eyes because you're surrounded by potentials and fresh followers and mature followers who need you in their life and not just their friend on Facebook. I need a manifestation from God before I can do that. Reread 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Understand that he died for all. What more do we need? What more do we need? Because as adults, we feed ourselves and we feed others. This is the reality of church. This is the reality of church. We have to have the mature follower, the potential follower, and the fresh follower. And what simply makes this, or is a catalyst for this ecosystem in church, is discipleship. It's that you and I pouring into each other. The last thought is this. Opportunity is found in our shared calling. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's not just to have a knowledge, a theological understanding of that, some ethereal idea about what God has done. But yet that this is experiential. This is something you have experienced. And if you have experienced grace in your life, then you are absolutely equipped to be a part of this system. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's the reality of where we are. We're operating in different domains. We all do different things. We have different places in life. I'm in vocational ministry. Maybe you're in sales or education or counseling, or maybe you were a student this morning, or maybe you are a government worker, or you are in business or law or medicine. Can I tell you, God has placed you in the domain that you're in today because God has a big plan for you. 
God has a big plan for you, and God's big plan for the gospel is not just wrapped up in preachers. It's you being sprinkled all over the domain and the places that God has put you in as ambassadors for Christ. I had this thought that there should be much more gospel conversation. There should be as much or more gospel conversation at, and I begin to make a list, Starbucks, E-City, Figs, Books and Beans, Einstein Bagel, Corner Bagel, Hardee's, Mickey D's, Besto, Krispy Kreme, Chick-fil-A, Corbett McGee's, Uptown Lounge, or wherever. Ah, I heard a come on. There you go. True. Have you put limits on God? Have you made excuses to Him about why you can't have deep relationships with other people? Because I believe what God is doing is ushering into our life and as a church, not some loose connections that we currently have, but sometimes we tag the name Jesus to them in those conversations. That's not what this is about, but this is about deep community with each other, and that involves risk and time and trust, and that will require you to have grace and forgiveness, and that will require you to simply be a disciple and be a disciple maker. It's the opportunity that's before us. Could we miss it? Yes, we could. Can I end with an Old Testament story very quickly? I talked a little longer when I got up here, and we sang and celebrated a little longer, so I have a few minutes left. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. I love this story. I will end with this, and then we will sing and get into our, our baptism time. 2 Kings 7, verse 3. Love the story. Here it is. It's a great narrative. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Set up for you real quick. There are four homeless lepers, terminal ill lepers, living outside the city of Samaria. The city is under siege. They've been under siege for some time to the point there is no food. There's no water inside the city. They've resorted to cannibalizing their own children. If you read the text later on, you find that there's only like two horses left in the entire city. They've eaten everything else. They've eaten everything else. The text goes on to say, And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. What are they saying? Either way, we're dead. You know, what do we have to lose here is exactly what they're saying. Have you ever realized that God does bring us to the points in our life where that we face these opportunities that are way beyond us and way beyond our ability and we have to really trust God? So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, those encamped around the city. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, hey... They're either going to, we're going to die by their sword or we're going to die simply by hunger or leprosy. So what do we have to lose? So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Here's the twist. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had, the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites. And the kings of Egypt come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was. That is important. And they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, pause for a moment. 
a point of clarification. If the inhabitants of the city of Samaria are starving to the point they're cannibalizing their own children, then how much more has this affected lepers who live outside the city because they live off the scraps of the city dwellers? And there are no scraps. And so they went into a tent and they ate, it says. It's the buffet of all buffets. I I had this thought, you know, in my imagination. There's filet mignon. Oh, yeah, there has to be that, right? And then there are chicken wings for the more casual connoisseur in the room, you know. There are chicken wings, yes. And there's mac and cheese and there's biscuits and there's mashed potatoes and there's gravy. You say, oh, Mark, wait a minute, you got to stop there because I'm not like in the starches right now. So the mashed potatoes have to kind of go. Can I tell you, if you have leprosy, who cares about starches, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, I want another helping of mashed potatoes or gravy, please. Absolutely. And the scripture says, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Oh, and this story hit me hard. In a matter of moments, they're transformed from four penniless, starving outcasts to being full and rich. And I thought, there's, there's a picture being painted here that we may not see from the surface. That there's that moment of transition Much like redemption in our life where Christ brings us from death to life. There's that moment of transition just like it was for those lepers. It is for you and I. There's that moment of realization that I did nothing to earn this. I raised no sword. I, I simply did not create any battle plan to make this happen. So I don't earn this or deserve it. It's a moment of grace just like you and I. That we did not do anything to earn or deserve forgiveness with our life. It is grace. And then there's that moment of calling. Where we are compelled by the love of Christ. That we are no longer our own. It's what they say in verse 9. Then they said to one another. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light. Punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come. Let us go and tell the king's household. This day is a day of good news. Yes. And and if, if those around us. If, if those around us don't hear it from us, they may not hear it at all, is exactly what they're saying. Yes. And so if we're not investing, if we're not invested in, is what we're saying. If we're silent about this thing, about what God has done in our life, about a redemption to other people's life, then there are consequences to that silence. I have to tell others. I have to tell others that there are life outside the walls of the city that they're in. There are people in this room this morning that are dealing with feelings of hopelessness. But you would not know it because we don't put that face on when we come here. When you came in the front door and the greeter said, how are you doing? You said, wonderful. You lied. You lied, right? Because your life right now is not wonderful. That we have come to this discovery of something so good. It's almost too good to be true. The good news of the gospel. We've come to the discovery of that within our lives. As messy and inconsistent as it is for all of us. Yes. But we've come to that discovery. But yet there are people back in the city. Who are cannibalizing one another. Because they are living in hopelessness. How will they know unless we invest ourselves in their lives? How will they know?
how will they know? It's an amazing story, isn't it? So they go back and they tell the, the gatekeeper. And so the gatekeeper, he signals to the king's household. And this is what he says in verse 11 and 12. Then the gatekeepers called out and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. Because this is too good to be true. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we, will, we shall take them alive and get into the city. That you have something so powerful, so good within you. Not that you're good within yourself, but you have something so powerful and so good, and that is the good news of the gospel and what God has done in your life, yet, Yet we choose not to tell the people in the city that the Syrians are gone and there is hope. And Paul says to us, you're compelled by the love of Christ because you have experienced redemption in your life. So this is not optional for you. This is your calling. Discipleship, investment in others is so powerful and so transformational. It will accomplish more, I believe, for the kingdom than we will ever accomplish in this room in an entire lifetime. To invest in others. Yesterday, my son Bradley, he, he sold his car, his Jeep. and My son Bradley should have been called to be a, a used car salesman. He can sell anything. He, can, he, can, he really can, yes. And so he said, Dad, come with me. And we met them here at the church. And so we began to talk to these three guys. And so the, the dealing went, started to go back and forth. And, you know, we were like with $100. You know, do you lose the sale or do you not? Or for 100 bucks And... And there was this older gentleman in the car in his truck that was buying it. And he had just had his leg amputated not long ago. So he couldn't get out of the truck, but he's buying a Jeep. I thought, this, this kind of is odd, yes. But it'll work, you know. And he went automatic, so he could drive it. And I thought it was pretty cool. And so we went back and forth. And so finally, they came to a price and made the deal. And, and so somehow it came, it came up while we were meeting at the church in the parking lot. And... Um, First, we laughed and said, because we don't know you, we don't really you know whether to trust you or not. Or, so we thought, well, you know, in the church, it'd be a good place to probably, you know, you know if you're going to leave this world, it'd be a great place to do that. And so we're here in the parking lot. And so I think Bradley said to him that, well, my dad's the pastor here. And the older gentleman in the truck who just lost his legs looked at me and said, well, if you're the pastor, get over here and pray for me right now. And you know what my, my first spiritual mature response was to him? You know what it was? I said, really? That's exactly what I said. It kind of caught me by surprise. I said, really? You know? 
And then I also said to him, listen, if you'd known I was the pastor, would you have given us the other $100 that we, that we wanted? And he said, no, I'd have probably given you much less if I'd have known that. That's what he said. <laughs> and in that parking lot, while Bradley's signing the title away on the other side of the seat in his truck, I laid hands on him and we prayed for him. We prayed for healing for his life. And that he would know that God loves him powerfully. And God has a purpose for him. In all of his hurt, in all of his pain. There are people around you this morning in this community of opportunity that need you. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Would you bow your heads for a moment, please? Father, you have, not me, but you have given us some powerful words, some amazing food food for thought. But God, let it go beyond thought today to go deep into our hearts. God, you know the demographics of this room spiritually. Father, you know that there are people here that don't know you in a personal way. They have not asked for the forgiveness of their sins. God, you know that there are people in here that are struggling with hopelessness. They feel like the Sumerians are locked in a city. And they're cannibalizing everybody around them in their own fear, in their own anxiety because they feel hopeless. But God, may this be a place not just in name only as Hope Fellowship... But may this be a place of great hope in people's lives. But Father, what we realize from the scriptures today is that it's not that they will all just somehow spiritually pick up on hope, but yet that they will need to be told. And that is your call upon our lives. So God, speak to us. For those of you this morning that are just here kicking the tires and you're kind of wondering what's going on, you're very skeptical, but yet you feel something in your heart. You feel something drawing you to God. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. And I would really encourage you to not leave this place without a response to that drawing of God. You've recognized a need for Him. Respond to that. By accepting him into your life. That Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I deserve nothing. And I deserve no forgiveness. But yet I realize that because you love me. That you've forgiven me. So I accept that into my life. I accept that into my life. And not upon my words. Not upon my actions. But upon your love and your grace. That today I am saved. And I am born again. I accept you as the Lord of my life. So, Father, work in our hearts this morning. For those.